Hi, this is Karen Kelly, and you're listening to An Appetite for Life. There's a great mix on this show with various topics, amazing guests, and the occasional celebrity guest. So my guest today is an independent sleep expert. He's been involved in sleep research for over 40 years. He's run a 24-bed sleep laboratory for clinical trials. He's the past chairman of the British Sleep Society between 2000 and 2004. He's published 40 peer review papers on various aspects of sleep research. And he's the author of the book, how to sleep well. So we're in very good hands today. I'd like to introduce Neil Stanley. So welcome, Neil. Thank you very much for having me. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. And I think that my listeners will double overnight because they'll have all these questions um, because it's something we all struggle with, whether it's insomnia or just a disturbed night's sleep. It's something everyone can relate to. So first of all, what does a good night's sleep look like? Well, it, it's actually very, very simple. A good night's sleep is one that allows you to be awake, focused, energetic during the day. It's not about a number of hours. It's not about sleep stages because they'll happen anyway if you're asleep. It's about making the time to go to bed when you're sleepy, sleep the amount of hours that you need and to wake up naturally. And if you do that, then you'll feel good during the day. So it's not about judging your sleep by what happens at night. It's about how you feel during the day. So if at around 11 o'clock in the morning, you feel on top of your game, happy, raring to go, don't worry about it. There's not a problem. Whatever you did last night doesn't matter. Uh, if at 11 o'clock in the morning you feel like you could lie on the floor and go to sleep, then there is a problem. And, and again, regardless of how many hours you've got or whatever. Uh, and I think we, we uh, it, it's strange. We, we, don't, we don't concentrate enough on sleep. And then we do. We become obsessed with things that aren't yeah. important. So, yeah, people have got their Fitbits and that. Yeah, so normally we hear, right, you should get at least eight hours sleep a night, um, you know, undisturbed, blah, blah, blah. But it's unrealistic, isn't it? Who gets eight hours sleep a night? Maybe a child. Well, I, I, I get nine and a half hours a night. <laughs> is that undisturbed, though, Neil? Is that undisturbed, yes, is. solid nine and a half sleep? It is. You're going to make is, a lot of people very envious. <laughs> well, after 40 years as a sleep expert, you'd expect me to know what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, the, the thing is, the eight hours is a, is a myth. It is a complete and utter myth. Nobody has ever seriously said that we needed eight hours. It, it, it's, I, I mean, I, I've been researching the history of sleep all my life, and I cannot find where this idea that we all need eight hours comes from how sleep, bizarre is that then i wonder where who's who's thought of that they just put a number on it well it, i think it comes from the idea of the eight hour working day which we yeah. had in the victorian era eight hours work eight hours leisure eight hours sleep but it was the work bit that was important in that uh, uh sort of uh agitation by the workers but the thing is sleep need is individual 
um, and it's to a great degree genetically determined. So we're all different. So some people can absolutely thrive on four hours sleep. Maggie Thatcher Others, did, didn't she? Maggie Thatcher. Supposedly. <laughs> <laughs> and then other people need 11 hours sleep to feel yeah. at their best. So it's about getting that right amount of sleep for you. So aiming for eight hours, that's an average. It's not an ideal. So, you know, I'm two meters tall. I love being tall. You know, I was at a concert last night. I could see what could was going on. But when I get to fly on Ryanair, I wish I was shorter. But I can't do anything about it. So it's not about being, it's like saying, you know, everybody should be five foot nine. No, uh, some people are, but there are the extremes. And the same with sleep. So it's about getting what you need. And going back to what I said earlier, it's about how well you feel during the day. So if you feel great on four hours sleep, fine. If you feel that you need nine and a half hours like me to feel good, then that's what you need. And you should try and get that amount of sleep each night so why does it vary do you think from person to person somebody that might need 11 hours sleep at night is that because they've got more of a physical job or is it no. just genetic is it just it's, in their it's, genes it's to a great degree genetic um and you know there, there's, there's various things i mean people have said that people who are born in the summer need less sleep than people who are born in the winter because of course the light dark cycle plays a lot big role in how much sleep you need um you know the, the key thing is it's about that opportunity some people don't allow themselves to get the sleep they need you know if i if you need eight hours sleep you need to be in bed for at least eight hours a night if you're not you won't get it that's that's the key thing and and so people um you know because they're thinking about this rule are thinking that somehow you know they have to achieve eight hours sleep and if they don't they failed and they have a sleep problem but as i say it's just as i say in the same way that we differ in height and we differ in shoe size we all differ in sleep need and so find out what you as an individual need and then try to each night get that sleep. I tell you what's interesting. I do believe that people have like a sleep slot. So for example, for me, if I go to bed at a certain time, say it's 10.30, between 10.30 and 11, I sleep very well. But if I go past that and it gets to 11.30, 12, it's disturbed. So does that mean something to you, like your own kind yeah. of sleep slot? <laughs> like? Well, yeah, I mean, the technical phrase is actually the sleep gate. Right, uh, sleep gate, it's exactly as you describe it. We all have about a 10 minute window, which would be our ideal time to go to sleep. The problem is it's blooming difficult to yes. find out what Especially it is. Something, another episode on Netflix or yeah. something. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's it. But, you know, we, if you put people into a, a, an isolation facility and put them on a constant routine where they do the same thing every hour, then you will be able to work that out. But really, essentially, it's listening to your body. There is, we all know when we should go to sleep, but we just don't. As you say, you watch another episode or, or you, you scroll down your phone. But yes, there is an ideal time for each of us to go to sleep. And if we can find that, it's a sweet spot. And as you say, we will go to sleep and sleep to as far you know as big a degree as possible and consistently and, and continuously through the night 
So if people have disturbed sleep, whether it's obviously it's unique if you've got a new baby, say, in the house or if they do shift work, is it a good idea to catch up on that sleep or just to let it go and start a new day and not worry about it? The, the thing is, to a, a large degree, you can't catch up on sleep um, because you can't have more than 100%. Uh, <laughs> um, and the issue is, if you have disturbed sleep, the most important part of sleep, the deep sleep, will be made up the next day. So if you have a really bad night's sleep one night, the next night you sleep like a log, or as the Danish say, like a shot cow. Um, you, 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 you don't move, you don't know anything, you wake up. But that's one night. Once you get past one or two nights disturbed sleep, you can't catch up. So trying to catch up at the weekend because of disturbed sleep in the week won't happen. And actually you'll probably make things worse for yourself because what the body craves is routine. So if you mess about with that routine, that's what makes you feel the Monday morning feeling. Um, so it's about, um, you know, keeping that routine. And the key thing of the routine is the wake up time, because your brain and body starts waking up approximately 90 minutes before you wake up. So if you know when you're going to wake up, your brain and body can prepare. So you wake up and you hit the ground running. If your brain and body has no idea what you're doing, it can't prepare. So you wake up and the brain and body go, hang on. It's horrendous, uh, isn't it? You know, if you're not prepared or you've had a bad night's sleep and the alarm goes off, you feel like you feel like death, don't you? It's horrendous. Yeah. And that so, makes sense because obviously you've missed that 90 minutes kind of um, walk into it, if you like. Yeah, absolutely. So last night, as I say, you know, I usually go to bed around 9.30 or so. Last night, I didn't go to sleep until one o'clock because I was out at a, a, a concert in London. Um, but I still woke up at the same time this morning, yes, 6.30. That's the thing, isn't it? Your body um, clock will wake up no matter what time you yeah. go to bed. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, the worst thing you can do then is to go back to sleep and wake up a bit later and feel, feel rubbish because of it. So routine is key. Um, so, yes, if you have a bad night's sleep, I mean, the Americans have a great phrase, if not tonight, then tomorrow night. If you don't have a good night's sleep tonight, you'll probably have a good night's sleep the next yeah, night. Next uh, but as you say, if it's night after night after night, then there is a problem, of course. So I was just doing um, a little bit of research. It might not be accurate. So um, over 60 million adults suffer with sleepless nights. Two thirds have disrupted sleep. And a quarter only receive up to five hours per night. Now, this research really, when you think about what we've discussed and that we shouldn't get het up on sleep, this is based on eight hours, isn't it? So 16 million adults might not suffer as much if they knew the truth about it. And why would they even need to report that only a quarter receive five hours? Because that five hours could suit that person. Well, this is, this is the difference um, when we read about sleep between people who don't need a lot of sleep and people who aren't getting enough sleep. So when people say about short sleep is bad for you, well, that's like saying being less than five foot four is bad for you. Right, yeah. You, you know, but cutting your legs off to be five foot four... <laughs> 
that's a, so do you know what I mean? It's like, so it's getting less sleep than you need. So for me, eight hours sleep is problem sleep. Wow. Because one hour less sleep for me or for any of us is bad. So for an 11 hour a night person, and there are a few of them, 10 hours would be a sleep problem. So you've really conditioned yourself um, to go to bed at 9.30. That's, that's, a, that's a big deal, isn't it? That's quite early, really, isn't it? It is, but it, it's, again, it's what's important. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, we have things that can record uh, any TV programme. Um, as I say, I was out at a concert last night. I'm going to the theatre tonight. Um, so that's, you know, it's not like I have to be in bed. I would just prefer to be in bed yeah. at that time. And, you know, if, if I, I, you know, I don't storm out of parties saying I must go, to, to, go to bed now. at 9.30. <laughs> um, they don't get but, going till 9.30, do they? <laughs> exactly. But this, this is the thing. I mean, I'm going to Spain in a couple of weeks time. I have no idea how I'll cope. I'll be going to bed before dinner. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's... It, you say it's a big deal, but you there are plenty of people, including plenty of people who are listening to you, uh, who will get up at the crack of dawn to run around the streets in Lycra yeah. Yeah. or to go yeah. to the gym. They've yeah, made well, time for that. People. <laughs> um, so why don't you make time for sleep? And then in the past, I mean, I'm, I'm coming up 57, you had things that you had to share the next day at work. You had to watch EastEnders because it only happened that night and you had to talk about the next day. You go into the office today and say, oh, I watched this program. Not one single person will have watched the same program. So yeah. it doesn't, you're not missing out on your yeah. life or okay. being able to talk. So as I say, people spend time and money on their nutrition and on their exercise. So if I said to you, I eat five, uh, five fruit and veg a day you'd, you'd go well done if I said I ran five kilometers a day you'd go well done if I say I get nine and a half hours sleep you go you're a sad git with no friends <laughs> which might be true but it, it, it it's as you know for, it's as positive as that and we live in a culture where actually it's the opposite you mentioned Margaret Thatcher you know the cult of the sleep deprived CEO you know oh I, I'm CEO of PepsiCo and I get up at four o'clock in the morning. Well, why? Sure that's because they can't switch off. They've got so much on their mind. So it's probably not having healthy sleep. Exactly. It, and, and this is this, this idea we hold this short sleep up as being a, a good, a positive thing. So, you know, I, when, when, when I do my lectures, people say to me, you know, one of the questions I always get asked is how do I get by with less sleep? Well, if you were a fitness instructor, you wouldn't, you'd be surprised if people said to you, how can I do less exercise? Or if you were a nutritionist, oh, I want to eat more, you know, junk food. You'd go, why? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's wrong with you? And yet with sleep, it's, you know, I, I want less of this really good stuff. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about what happens when we go to sleep. And I'm not sure if we need to get het up on things like the REM or, or micro sleep. I'm not quite sure the different processes we go through. But if somebody has four hours, are they going to go into that deep sleep? 
And what happens? There are two states of being during the night. There's rapid eye movement sleep and non-rapid eye movement sleep. Non-rapid eye movement sleep makes up about 75 to 80% of the night. And it's divided into three stages of sleep, each of increasing depth. So stage one is the transition from awake to asleep. So if you are awake and you're going to go to sleep, you'll go through stage one sleep. And it's that, that noddy sleep that you have, you know, when your head drops and, and that sort of thing. So that's the transition. 50% uh, of the night is spent in stage two sleep, which frankly, we have very little idea as to what it does. Um, and then we have stage three sleep, which makes up about 25% of the night. And that's the deep restorative sleep. So that's the sleep that makes you feel like you've had a good night's sleep. Is that the REM? No, REM sleep is the second state, which is dreaming sleep. And that's different from non-REM sleep as different from awake, actually. It's a completely different state. And non-REM sleep, uh, non-REM sleep, as I say, is the deep restorative bit that boosts your immune system, is memory, learning, you even only grow during your deepest sleep. REM sleep is when you have your dreams, and that's about psychological well-being and psychological memory, emotional memory. And that makes up about 20% of the night. And as I say, that's when you have your narrative dreams, your story-like dreams. So Essentially, you have most of your deep sleep in the first third of the night, and you have REM periods, your dreaming periods, around every 90 minutes through the night. Um, and they're around, at the start of the night, the first one may be 10 minutes long, in the middle of the night, later part of the night, they may be 45 minutes long or in that dreaming sleep. And you are preferentially designed to wake up in dreaming sleep. So if you woke up this morning without an alarm clock, you almost certainly woke up in that dream and you'll remember it to, degree, to a degree. And if you wake up during the night, that will probably be in dreaming sleep. So the whole thing is, is about getting a night's sleep. Uh, and as I say, if your body and brain knows when it's going to wake up, it can optimize the stages of sleep within the time it's given. Um, so that's, you know, say I had a short sleep last night, but, you know, I had a lot of deep sleep, but I also had my REM sleep because that's also important. So I'll have cut down on the stage two sleep, which just seems to be sort of filler for some reason, which we still, as I say, haven't worked out. So getting het up about your sleep. I mean, people often say, how can I get more deep sleep? You can't. Um, you, all you can do is sleep for the amount you, you need. Or, you know, I might be missing out on REM sleep. No, you're not. If you are asleep, you're, you know, the body is self-regulating. If you're not asleep, then of course you're missing out on things. And this goes back to what I said earlier. If you're an eight hour a night person, you need to be in bed for at least eight, eight and a half hours. If you're not, of course you're going to miss out on things. Uh, and it's not sustainable. One bad night, fine. Two, three bad nights, you know, that's that's going to start causing a problem. It's going to have an effect, isn't it? Oh, it's so fascinating. <laughs> Neil, we're just going to take a short break and we'll be back in a few minutes' time. Let me introduce our sponsor, Everything Genetic Limited, specialists in preventative healthcare testing, helping people to identify to see if they are at risk of developing common hereditary cancers and heart conditions. Based in Nantwich, Cheshire, they partner with some of the UK's market-leading laboratories, supplying revolutionary genetic tests 
to healthcare providers and patients for the detection, diagnosis and treatment planning of cancer, heart disease and other illnesses. One of their main aims is to democratise genetic testing, meaning everyone can take control of their own well-being and healthcare to detect any problems at an early stage when they are most treatable. They also offer a COVID testing service which is on the government list, initially launched to support clinical partners who were unable to get patients in during the pandemic. This service enables patients to come back into clinics to resume all important cancer testing and is available through over 200 partner companies. They offer a comprehensive range of coronavirus COVID-19 test kits and services for individuals, healthcare providers and employers. For more information, visit their website, everythinggeneticlimited.co.uk. So welcome back. We are talking to independent sleep expert, Neil Stanley. So Neil, we've been talking about a good night's sleep. It's different for individual, different from person to person. It could be four hours for one, eight hours for another, or 11 for another person. Can we talk about different problems that people have that affect their sleep, like maybe people that are suffering with sleep apnea, uh, obviously insomniacs, that's something completely different. So what? let's talk about some of those. What are the different types of sleep issues that are clearly issues and affect everyone's daily life? Okay, I mean, the, the thing is, I mean, you mentioned the, the, the figures uh, earlier about the number of people. For most people, uh, poor sleep is down to anxiety, not making time for sleep, binge watching Netflix. Um, and so it's just not treasuring sleep as being important. So that's the vast majority of us. But then we get to the sort of the medical issues. Um, and, you know, the, the, the one that's most sort of prevalent is insomnia. Now, there are three types of insomnia. There's the inability to fall asleep. There's waking up in the middle of the night and then not being able to go back to sleep. And there's waking earlier than you expected. Um, and you can suffer from one or all of those, um, but usually it's about a third, a third, a third. So a third of people find it difficult to fall asleep um, and difficulty falling asleep, as I say, anxiety, racing mind, maybe pain, uh, would be the cause of that. Waking up in the middle of the night and then inability to fall back to sleep. That's probably going to be linked to medical conditions like right. pain or, or something like that. And that will wake you up and then anxiety and that sort of thing will keep you awake because you can't fall back to sleep because you're either in pain or your partner's snoring or whatever. They've, Waking got up, treat, they've got to treat the anxiety then really and the reason they, why, yeah. haven't they? Well, there's two things. The, the reason you woke up and then the reason why you can't go back to sleep. So you may wake up needing to pee. You get up, you have a pee, you get back into bed. You emptied your bladder, so that's not a problem. So what is stopping you from falling back to sleep? So again, it's that anxiety or maybe pain or something like that. Waking up early, uh, repeatedly earlier than you need. One could just be that you think you should wake up at seven o'clock and your body thinks you should wake up at six o'clock. Um, or the other thing, waking up early is commonly associated with depressive mood. Um, so it's important to think about your mood when you wake up. 
So do you so, mean waking up early after we disturbed night's sleep, you mean? No, just waking up early. So as I say, thinking that you should wake up at seven and then waking up at five and just, you know, not being able to fall asleep. But as I say, is that a problem? If you wake up at five and you think, yeah, great, I'm alive, I'm awake, I can walk, the dog learn Spanish and knit blankets for Africa, then, you know, yeah. don't think, oh my God, I've woken up and it's not seven o'clock. It's really interesting that, you know, because if I go to bed at my, when, during my, my sleep gate, as you call it, my sleep slot, um, sometimes I do wake up quite early, maybe 5.40, uh, 5.50, and I feel amazing. And then I think, oh, I've got another hour yet. And so I, I generally I do get up and start work or go for a run or something, walk the dog, like you said. But I do think, oh, I could do with another hour. I don't need to be up till seven. And if I do fall back to sleep, I feel shocking when I wake up. So I wish I'd stayed awake. And that's the thing. This is, this is the thing. Why are you thinking you need yeah. another hour? If you, you... You're basing it on that eight hours, which has come out of nowhere. Exactly. So if you feel good and awake, the body is saying you're good and awake. If you felt rubbish, then yes, go back to sleep. But if you're awake, then your body is saying, I am awake. Then, you know, don't, don't fret. And of course, you know, at the moment when it's summer and it's, you know, it's blue sky and warm temperature, get up, listen to the birds sing. So insomnia, as I say, is, is you know, probably the most common problem. Then you have the other thing. Um, sleep apnea is uh, a, a condition where you stop breathing repeatedly during the night. You have pauses in your breathing, lasting anywhere between 10 and 180 seconds, so up really to three dangerous, minutes. That's really dangerous, isn't it? And it? It can be, because what happens is you're breathing against an obstruction. There's an obstruction in the throat caused by the soft palate. So you're trying to breathe against that, but the air is not coming out. So your heart rate goes up, uh, your blood pressure goes up. So sleep apnea is uh, associated with increased risk of stroke or heart disease. But the other thing is, this can happen three, 400 times a night, these pauses. And each time you pause, when you overcome the obstruction, you actually wake up. Wow. So for a short period of time. Sleep. So technically, they're not getting any sleep. So they may not know that this is happening, but they will notice that their you know, performance, their awareness uh, during the day is impaired. So it massively increases your risk of car accidents and things like this. Um, it usually, well, it, people, as they might not know they have it, it's the partner who will spot it. Because what you'll have is you'll have, five or six loud snores and then a pausing in the breathing and then another five or six snores and this can go on and say for hour after hour so if you notice your partner is stopping breathing or pausing in their breathing during the night then they need to go to their doctor uh, there's yeah. no argument take them to the doctor they might say oh i'm fine or you know, of course, I'm a bit slow because I'm getting old and, you know, what can I expect? But take them to the doctor. So that sleep apnea, that's, I mean, it used to be thought of as a condition of uh, fat middle-aged men, um, but uh, that's, that's not true. Women can suffer it. Thin women can suffer it. Uh, children indeed can suffer it because of their tonsils. Uh, so is that genetic that's... then? People who sleep uh, suffer with sleep apnea. No, it, it, it's well genetic in the sense of for many people it can be a uh, anatomical problem, uh, a recessed jaw, 
um, can cause uh, sleep apnea. So, it, it, you know, if you look at somebody in, inside profile and you know what you're looking at, you can probably predict uh, whether they have apnea or not. Whereas in the past, it was a rule of thumb that it was the same middle-aged men with a shirt collar over 18. That was what doctors were looking for. So if you were a girl, and the worst case of sleep apnea I've ever seen was a thin 16-year-old female, wow. she would go to the doctor saying, oh, I can't sleep. And the doctor would say, you're a 16-year-old girl, it's your hormones. Whereas, because he would never be looking at her as a potential apnea patient. So that's what I'm saying. If, if you hear somebody pausing in their snoring, that doesn't mean that snorers necessarily get sleep apnea. Some people can just snore. I was going to come to snoring. Let's talk about that in on a big scale <laughs> because both of you are getting a disturbed sleep, aren't you? Yes. Because your partner is going to be disturbed. How, how can we overcome that? First of all, what causes snoring? How can we stop it? And how can the person next to them overcome that snoring well, and get a good well, night's sleep. Snoring is basically just, you know, fleshy bits in the upper airway vibrating in the wind as you're breathing in and out. It's, nice, as, it's as simple as that. <laughs> um, but as I say, you can be what we term a simple snorer, i.e. all you do is snore. Um, the problem with snoring is that the World Health Organization says your bedroom should be in terms of noise around 35 decibels, which is a sort of a quiet conversation in a library, with intermittent peaks around 45 decibels, which is pretty much a sort of a, a lorry going past a double glazed window. Your average snorer can be between 65 and 95 decibels. Um, and decibels is a logarithmic scale. So that's not just a bit noisier, that's much, much noisier. Yeah. For instance, a jet landing at the end of Heathrow runway is 105 decibels. Gosh. So it's the noise that is annoying um, for the partner, uh, and it can be loud enough to wake up the snorer as well. Um, so they both have uh, poor sleep. Now, Okay, snoring can, can be, you know, there's many causes of snoring. One of them could be anatomical. So um, a large soft palate, tonsils, broken nose when you were uh, playing rugby, uh, because basically you're not having a straight airway and so the air will make a noise. For other people, it can be too much weight, but, but the thick neck uh, can cause it because it closes the airway slightly. Others like myself, you know, snore when we've had a few beers because alcohol relaxes the neck. So there's no real cure because I say there's no one cause. So for some people, losing weight, avoiding alcohol will help. Um, some of these lotions and potions and strips that you can buy in, in chemists could work for some people. Uh, other people, an operation to cut away some of the flesh at the back of the throat. Uh, that seems a bit extreme, doesn't it? Well, yeah, but some people's marriages but depend does it work? on snoring. Does it work? In some people it works. About 25% of people, 50% it makes no difference, and 25% of people it makes it actually worse. So it needs to be thought about. Um, but the other thing is, um, to be honest, it's not natural to sleep next to another person. Uh, so separate bedrooms. Yeah, um, yeah, well, that's probably the way forward, isn't it? It's well, so interesting, isn't it? Because I know every other person I speak to will know 
their partner will snore or they snore or they don't realize they snore yeah, but yeah. Partner, you know it's a, it's a conversation isn't it um but it's so true isn't it we are designed to sleep by ourselves and we get a better night's sleep is there a problem with that what about married no, couples it's a very it's a very modern phenomenon sleeping together and it's only poor people who sleep together because we don't have space spare rooms yeah uh, we, right. well it's not spare room that's the thing that's the other thing people say well it's the spare room no it's your bedroom if you say the spare room or the guest room or the back room it sounds like a punishment yes it but does, if it's yeah. your bedroom yes now of course you have a kiss and a cuddle but nobody ever falls asleep in each other's arms. And no. people say, well, I like knowing that my partner's next to me. Well, if you know your partner's next to you, they're disturbing you. Yeah. So yeah. have a kiss and a cuddle, go and have a good night's kip, and then you'll wake up feeling refreshed rather than wanting to kill your partner because they smell, <laughs> snored all night. Um, you know, it, it's as simple as that. Okay. Oh, my goodness. I could talk forever on this subject. Let's just talk about... I know you mentioned alcohol, what that does, it relaxes the muscles in your throat. So is it really true that drinking coffee affects your sleep? It's like anything, we're all different. So some people, I mean, caffeine in coffee can stay around in the body for 10 hours or so. Uh, And so a cup of coffee at two o'clock could be disturbing your sleep at midnight. Uh, in some people, but we all know those people who can have two double espressos after a meal and sleep perfectly well. So yeah. it's finding out what works for you. So there's no ideal time for everybody to give up caffeine. Um, drink caffeine, drink coffee when you want. If, if it disturbs, you know, if you've had a nice three course meal in a restaurant, um, I mean, a half a bottle of wine and the waiter comes around and you say, I'll have decaf you're missing the point you know why you know so of course if you're drinking a couple of cans of red bull just before you go to bed then you deserve every bad thing that's happened to you but having a (laughs) cup of coffee after a night you know after a nice evening is not really a problem and exactly the same with alcohol if you want to have a small sherry before bed or a tot of whiskey or a glass of wine don't worry about it It's never done anybody any harm. You have to actually drink quite a bit of alcohol for it to really disturb your sleep. Well, I'll tell you what I wanted to ask you about that, actually. Gone are the days where I excessively drink. I'm, you know, not (laughs) as young as I was and I can't take it anymore. Absolutely. However, if I have, if I have a, a, when I say a night out, it's more like a a late, an early evening (laughs) night out these days. And I have maybe half a bottle with somebody and say I say I fall asleep I wouldn't say pass out not at all but I fall asleep because I've had maybe too much to drink and I'm going back years now I've given it as an example and I sleep really well but then I wake up in the middle of the night and I feel shocked and you can't get back off to sleep so what's the alcohol doing to you okay so the, the thing is alcohol is very good for sleep alcohol actually works on the exact same receptors that sleeping tablets work on so alcohol does put you to sleep the problem with know, alcohol <laughs> is threefold. One, it's highly calorific. Yeah. And so in order to get good sleep, you need to lose one degree of body temperature. So if you've drunk a lot of alcohol, you're burning off those calories. So it makes it, and you know, you wake up and your pillow's soaked <laughs> and that's the thing with sweat. Yeah. The other thing is it makes you pee. So you wake up needing to go to the toilet and this. The third thing is that it gives you that headache because it shrinks your brain and you get your headache. 
Um, so those are, so you will sleep, you know, really well for about four hours and then you'll get the side effects of the alcohol. But as I say, you have to drink quite a bit. Now you'll see a lot of sleep experts say any alcohol is bad for sleep. No, it's not. You have to drink the equivalent of three or four pints of beer to have that sort of effect. So as I say, you know, a couple of glasses of wine or whatever is, you know, is perfectly okay. And actually is a good way to relax of an evening. So yeah. I, I've got no, you know, but if you're drinking again, like I said about the Red Bull, if you're drinking half a bottle of Tesco's value scotch just before bed, then you've got other problems, <laughs> not yeah, just a yeah. sleep problem. Yeah. So it's about moderation. And we all know there are some people who will get drunk on sniffing the barmaid's apron and other people who can drink eight pints and still be fine. So it's finding what works for you. So yeah, don't back, be hung up. It's back to the individual, isn't it? Again, yeah. We're all completely different from person to person. I could talk to you all day about this, but before we go, can you give us some tips um, for a good night's sleep? Well, yeah, absolutely. There, there are three things you need for a good night's sleep. You will see in the media millions and millions of sleep tips, most of which are complete nonsense, um, <laughs> but all of which fall into one of three categories. Number one, you need a bedroom conducive to sleep. So dark. That's again, you need a bedroom conducive to sleep. Right. A sleep sanctuary, dark, quiet, cool, comfortable. You go to your bedroom to sleep, not to talk to your imaginary friends on Facebook or to watch. Netflix, you go there to sleep and it's comfortable, it's dark, it's cool. Number two, a relaxed body. But you all know that you can be completely relaxed, totally physically exhausted. You get into bed and you can't fall asleep. Why? The third thing, a quiet mind. Absolute prerequisite for sleep. So you need to get a quiet mind. You need to put the cares and worries of the day to bed long before you go to bed you so maybe need to write them down yeah journaling whatever fine so you need a wind down routine to relax you might say well how do you relax i don't know again i read every night so last night i said i got in around half midnight way past my bedtime but i read for 30 minutes just to you know de-stress de but that's what i do doesn't mean you should read chamomile tea horlicks mindfulness meditation yoga listening to pink floyd really loudly i don't care what you do as long as you do something to quieten the mind and if you do get into bed and your mind is racing despite your best efforts then practice things like thought blocking in many techniques of so subtracting seven from a thousand sequentially uh going through the alphabet naming animals beginning with each letter of the alphabet uh, my favourite one from an old sleep book that I've got said, list alphabetically all the operas you've seen, which I think is very quaint. Um, you know, don't try to sleep. Don't lie there going, I must get sleep, I must get sleep, I must get sleep. Don't do that panic maths. Yeah. If I don't fall asleep within the next 10 minutes, then I won't ever fall asleep. It won't give me eight hours. And therefore, oh my God, I still haven't fallen asleep. The minute you start doing that, you're not falling asleep. You're doing the exact opposite. So, Go to bed with the mindset, I'm going to have a good night's sleep tonight. And you probably will. If you go to the mindset, go to bed with the mindset, I definitely won't get a good night's sleep tonight. Guess what? 
you yeah, won't you get asleep. What about um, these apps that you can get with music or white noise? Do you encourage those? It's up to you. If you like listening to music, fine. If you like listening to white noise, fine. If you hate it, you know, it's like lavender. People say lavender helps you sleep. If you like the smell of lavender, I hate the smell of lavender. So having lavender in the house, I would have to find it and find it and burn it before I could get to sleep. <laughs> so it's what works for you. We yeah. have fallen asleep since we have been human. Yeah. Without needing an app, without needing white noise. Yeah. <laughs> we've we've overcomplicated something which is. Just be nice to yourself. Yeah, be kind to yourself, even if you don't get a good night's sleep. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I do this exercise uh, when I'm talking to an audience. I say, you know, you come home from work, you have a nice meal with your family. Uh, you play with the children, you put them to bed because they need a lot more sleep than you give them. You then spend some quality time with your partner. Um, not too much because you'll start arguing. Um, so around 9.30 or so, you go upstairs, you run yourself a nice hot bath with your favourite bubbles, your favourite oils, candles all around the bath, your favourite music playing, a glass of wine. And you get into that bath and you let all your stresses and strains drain away from you. And just as the bath starts to turn, you get out and you put on a big fluffy toweling robe and then you get into a bed that's freshly made. Would that work? Yes. Do you do it? No. no. Why? What have you, you know, getting to sleep isn't a challenge. It's not like having to eat vegetables or run in lycra. It's about doing something nice for yourself. I tell you what I did want to ask is children that have sleep problems from, from birth, you know, you get babies that don't sleep or are they going to have problems in later life or can that be rectified? And is that the parent's fault that maybe haven't assisted that kind of 7-Eleven or that routine, the 7-Eleven 3 that used to be the old-fashioned way? Yeah, the, the thing is, again, uh, we've become obsessed about it. You know, so I'm 57, my mum's just coming up to 80 and I asked her what she did, you know, as a sleep expert, I said, yeah. what did you do with me as a child? She said, nothing. You know, if you asked your grand how she brought your mama, it was like, I didn't do anything. Yeah. You yeah. know, if you were sleepy, you were put to bed. Yeah. You know, and yes, children who are insomniacs will become hardwired because their brains are still developing. It will become hardwired as that is their, you know, issue. But parents have been, you know, there are millions of books about babies and sleep. Everybody's got a fashionable idea um, about this, that, and the other. Children need a lot more sleep than they get. And basically, you should put a child, you should let the child sleep. And as your granny used to say, never wake a sleeping child. There's yeah. no reason to. They will wake up when they want to, and they will go to sleep when they want to. They should just be given that freedom. But, you know, a newborn needs 16 to 20 hours sleep. A 10-year-old needs approximately 10 hours sleep. Most children don't get anywhere close to that. You know, most children are put to bed with Peppa Pig on a tablet rather than their parents reading, you know, giving them, you know, bath, book, bed. Yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, bath, book, bed would work every time. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it, it's, not, it's not difficult. It's been made difficult because... 
people have been, oh, there's one supposed sleep expert in America who said she became a sleep expert, i.e. she read a book, um, because she knew at the age of two weeks old that her child had a sleep problem. That's quite early on to, to make that decision, but pretty much babies do nothing but sleep. Exactly. You know and they should be so left... within two weeks. Well, unless she was expecting them to sleep through it too. Well, again, sleep, sleep through the night. What age should you expect a child to sleep through the night? I would say, oh, is it 11 weeks? Maybe I'm guessing my children have grown up. I can't remember. The actual weeks? scientific answer is that it could be six years old really? before all children are sleeping all through the night. God, that's late, isn't it? Really? Yeah, but that's... But that's the thing. What we want, seemingly, in this day and age is to pop the baby out and it to be no bother to yes, us yes. And, and sleep when we want it to sleep. It has no idea that mummy and daddy are going to work. It, it has, and then you shouldn't expect it. It's a baby. I mean, children are... I mean, I, I said this once on the radio with a, a child psychologist, and I, I, she didn't take it well, but children are stupid. <laughs> that's why they have parents until they're 18 they aren't dumb um that's why we have we have the responsibility as parents to get a child sleeping but we should certainly not push them to not like the eight hours we should not yeah. push them to yeah. develop a routine just because they're inconvenient to us Oh, Neil, do you know, I can't believe the time. I can, we haven't covered everything. There's so <laughs> much to talk about. But before we go, let's just let our viewers know where we can get the book, How to Sleep Well. How can they get in contact, you, contact with you with any questions at all? Um, far away. Okay, my book, uh, How to Sleep Well, uh, is available from all good bookshops, including that big one on the internet, uh, usually <laughs> at a discounted price. Um, my website is thesleepandsalty.com and there's ranting and raving on there if you want to know anything more. My contact details are on that website. Uh, but my email address is Dr. Neil Stanley. So drneilstanley at yahoo.co.uk if anybody's interested. And did you mention your Facebook, your social media pages, Neil? I, I, I barely use social media. Right. So, I, I, so uh, most of the stuff is on my website rather than because it's more long form social media is too short to yeah. get my ideas across brilliant oh thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your world of sleep and um, i'm sure many people will be reassured uh, but you'll have to come on again i'd love you to come on again i'd love to i'd love to as you say there's much more to cover so it'd be great to do that thank you You've been listening to my podcast, Appetite for Life, also supported by sponsor, Danebank House Dental Practice, where happiness starts with a smile. Would you like to be a guest on this show? Or maybe you're interested in a sponsorship package. For any further information, you can find me across various social media platforms as Karen Kelly Podcasts, or send me an email, karenindakelly at btinternet.com.